Let's pray and ask God for his help. Please join me as we pray. Almighty God, our gracious and holy Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can look together at your word. We thank you that we're in a free country where we don't need to fear for our lives as we gather together. Uh, We thank you that you've given us your word and uh, we thank you that it tells us about Jesus. Please help us to understand better uh, who who he is and what he has done for us and help us to respond appropriately. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just going to take the well, I reckon I say it at least 12 times every day. At least three times every morning to every one of my four children. Have you got everything you need? Have you got your school bag? Have you got your bus pass? Have you got your library book? Have you got your reader? Have you got your homework? Have you got your news? Have you got your clothes on? Have you got your hat? Have you got your music book? Have you got your lunchbox? Did you remember to put your head on this morning? Have you got everything you need? And yet, after years and years of repeatedly asking the same question to every single child, every single day, it's amazing how often it happens halfway down the driveway with the bus just pulling up to the station. Dad, I forgot my lunchbox. (laughs) When we head off for more than just the day, it's even worse. Uh, Say we're heading off to the church weekend away or something like that. Uh, What I do is um, we've got a blackboard in our dining room and I write a list for them of everything that they need to have in their bag. I make every child check the list and then double-check the list. And then when they say they've got it perfect... What I do is I make them bring their bag to the list and stand in front of me, in front of the list, and make sure that what is on the list is in their bag. And still somehow, we usually manage to forget something. So last time we got there, one of my children had no shirts for the weekend. (laughs) I definitely packed them in my bag, he said. Someone must have taken them out. That infamous thief who steals shirts out of bags and puts them back into cupboards strikes again. (laughs) Of course, it's not just my children who do this. They've inherited it from me. Uh, I am hopeless at remembering to bring everything I need, hopeless at finding it. My wallet, my keys, my sunglasses, the, the, the right clothes, the right paperwork. It's very, very easy to forget something. Uh, In fact, what I have to do, I have to make sure that all my stuff for the next day is ready together in one place. Uh, So I have one special place at home where my keys always have to be, where my wallet always has to be. We call it my in-tray. And uh, where my sunglasses have to be and, and where I prepare all the things for the next day. The moment something is not in my in tray, it's lost. I'm in deep trouble and it'll be panic time when it's time to go out. I'll be throwing things all over the place trying to find my wallet or keys or whatever it is. Sometimes uh, in the middle of the night I'll think, oh, I I need to bring that thing tomorrow and I think, I've just got to get up, out of bed, take it now, put it in the in-tray or it's going to be panic stations tomorrow. Have you got everything you need? It's the perennial question of my life as a dad and as a worker. Well, in our church over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking together at uh, this book in the Bible called Colossians. Uh, It's a letter, and it's a letter that was written by an early Christian missionary by the name of Paul. 
So he wrote it to a church in what is now the country of Turkey, uh, in a city called Colossae, hence Colossians. The Colossian people live in Colossae. Um, Paul has never met the Colossians, and uh, while he is writing to them, he's in chains. You'll see that in chapter 4, verse 3, he's in chains, in jail, uh, writing to these Colossian Christians who he has never personally met. Uh, Last week, we saw Paul reminding the Colossians of the Christian message, what he calls the gospel. Uh, Gospel means good news, so the good news, the gospel. The Colossians had heard the gospel from a, a colleague of Paul's, a man by the name of Epaphras. So Paul, we saw last week, reminds them of the gospel. He told them how how Jesus is the supreme ruler of everything. All of God's fullness dwells in Jesus. He says that creation itself was made in and through and for Jesus. He talks about how Jesus died on the cross. And he says that through Jesus' death, people can be reconciled to God. You know this word reconciled? It's where enemies become friends. So what Paul says is that people, by nature, are enemies of God. We don't love God in our minds. We don't obey God in our behaviour, and so we have made ourselves his enemies. We're therefore facing the prospect of a very bad judgment day. But the good news, the gospel, is that through Jesus' death, God now offers to pardon us, to make us holy, clean before him, forgiven, no accusation left, not enemies anymore, now forgiven, reconciled friends. And so Paul says to these Colossians, what you've got to do is is stick with it. Don't move. Jesus, the Jesus that Epaphras told you about, he can make you blameless before God, so don't rely on anything or anyone else. Stay right where you are. Come back with me to, to verse 21 of chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21. Once, he says, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved, from the hope held out in the gospel. You see, Epaphras had come to visit Paul while Paul was in jail, and he'd come with good news about the Colossians. They'd heard the the message about Jesus, they'd put their faith in him, and and so Paul's very thankful. We saw him pray for the Colossians before with thanks, and and we'll see later on, he, he says he's very pleased that they're standing firm. But Epaphras also reported that there were some problems in Colossae. There were some some, some teachers hanging around, and what they were saying was that Epaphras had left out some vital stuff from from, from the gospel. They were saying, you Colossians, you haven't been given the whole story, the the, the full mystery. You haven't been told everything that you need. They were saying, yes, what Epaphras says is good. Jesus is a good bloke. It's good that you rely on him, but it's not enough. In Jesus, you don't have everything you need to be a a first-class, fully-fledged, fully-fledged Christian. If you really want to be, if you really want to know the whole mystery, if you really want to have it all, then what you've got to do is follow what we say. Follow certain rules and certain ceremonies and stuff like that. We'll see more of that in the next couple of weeks. So, Paul now addresses the problem. What about this message, this gospel that Epaphras told them? 
Well, Paul says, this gospel that you've heard can make you blameless before God. That's what he's just said. And now he says, this gospel that you heard from Epaphras, well, it's the same gospel that every, everybody else has heard. All the other churches have heard the same gospel as Epaphras. And, and he says, this gospel, it's the same gospel that I've been preaching as well. So halfway through verse 23, this is the gospel that you heard from Epaphras and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Everyone else has heard the same gospel and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Same gospel. Paul says, uh, he starts to talk about his own story and he says, uh, he says how he suffers for this gospel. Now, as he writes, he's in chains. And uh, those of you who know the story of what happened to Paul, he had terrible things happen to him because he was telling people about Jesus. He was, he was whipped, he was stoned, he was tortured, he was uh, chased from one place to another. Eventually they murdered him. Eventually he was executed for telling people about Jesus. But Paul says here, he says, I'm happy to suffer to get the message out there because it is the full story. It is everything you need to be right with God. Now, as, as he says this, he uses a bit of a strange expression. And I know people have struggled a bit with this in Bible study during the week. Uh, he talks about what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So the false teachers in Colossae, they were saying Christ's suffering is, is lacking. It's inadequate to make you a fully-fledged Christian. And, and Paul, he makes a bit of a play on that. He says, oh, well, maybe there is a lack in Christ's suffering. Uh, not in terms of making you a fully-fledged Christian, not in terms of paying the price for your sin, not in terms of making you blameless before God, but in terms of getting the message out to the world. Uh, Jesus died on the cross, did everything it requires for people to be saved, but what's lacking is for people to hear about the gospel. And so people like Epaphras and me, we have to struggle. We have to, we have to face more suffering in order to get the gospel out to people like you. And so he says, I, I fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, but he says, I'm glad to do it because you're getting the whole story. He says, it's more than worth it. I'm fine with it because you're getting everything you need. Verse 24. 24. Now, I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. And now he reaffirms that this gospel the Colossians receive is everything they need. He says, he says, first, this was the commission that God gave me, to teach people not half the story, but the whole story, the full message. Verse 25, I've become its servant, the gospel servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Then Paul talks more about the gospel itself. And he says it is a bit like a mystery. I guess the Colossian false teachers were saying, you don't have the full depths of the mystery or something like that. He says, well, yeah, 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 it's a bit of a mystery. Until Jesus came, no one would have ever guessed that the Son of God would come and suffer and die so people can be right with God. No one could have ever have guessed that Christ would offer us the sure hope of eternal glory. But now, he says, this mystery, it's disclosed it's out there. It's open. People know the answer. And he says, interestingly, that has been disclosed to the saints. Now, saints here, um, it's not talking about a football team, as well as they may or may not be doing, uh, nor is it talking about some special holy people canonised by the church or anything like that. But listen to this. I'm going to say something that you probably don't expect. Saints here, it's probably referring, in fact, almost certainly, I think, is referring to the original Jewish Christians. 
Okay? The saints here are the original Jewish Christians who, who saw Jesus and the first ones who received the gospel. So the message was given to the saints, the original Jewish Christians, and the saints then had the job of passing the message on to the Gentiles, that is to non-Jewish people, like most of the Colossians were and like most of us are. So verse 26, the word of, uh, Paul is commissioned to preach the word of God in all, its, in all its fullness, which is, verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is in fact no mystery at all, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is disclosed. Uh, in the year 2012, I was introduced to Scandinavian crime fiction. Uh, and I'm sad to say that pretty much straight away, I was desperately hooked. Uh, I have now read um, dozens of, of Scandinavian and other European crime novels. I love the darkness of them. I love the cynicism and pessimism of them. They, re they really are the most pessimistic people, those Northern Europeans. It's probably because it's dark all the time up there. And, and, and I love how in these books, what starts out as a complete fog, all these unrelated characters and weird things happening, it's total fog, and it just it gradually becomes clearer and clearer until finally all is revealed. I love the books, but the thing is, for all the dozens of crime fiction novels I've now read, you know, I've never, ever read one for a second time. I've never, ever reread a crime novel. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I was reading uh, an, an Italian crime novel set in Florence. Fascinating story. I won't go into it too much, but written by the um, former police commissioner of Florence. He quit being a police commissioner and then started writing crime fiction. Fascinating stuff. Anyway, um, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, straight away, when I finished, I decided I've got to read the sequel. Uh, I got both out from the library. So at night, I started reading. It was late at night, so I just managed the first chapter or so. Next morning, I grabbed what I thought was the book to take my children somewhere, uh, took it with me, set them off, sat down, started to read chapter two, and I'm going, is this no mystery? This makes perfect sense. I know exactly, I, I know who did this already. Uh, and I was thinking, is he just repeating himself? What's going on? Anyway, finally, I, I checked on the back, and I thought, it's the same cover as the one I was reading before. I picked up the book that I'd already read instead of the new book. Straight away, I put it down. As much as I enjoyed reading it the first time, how boring to read it the second time. I already know what's happened. The mystery's been disclosed. I already have the full story. I don't need to read this book anymore. The mystery has been revealed in full. Well, that's what Paul is saying. It is like with Jesus. The mystery has been disclosed in full. If you've heard the message about Jesus, no more mystery left. You've heard the full story. There's nothing else that you need to be right with God. Paul talks more about how he proclaims this gospel, this mystery. He says, he says that God gave him all of the wisdom that he needs to proclaim uh, Jesus. There's no lack of wisdom in his preaching of the gospel. Verse 28, he says, We proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Uh, he also says that, that this Jesus is enough to make everyone perfect before God. Nothing else needed to be perfect before God. Still in verse 28, we proclaim Jesus so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Paul also says that God has given him the strength he needs, verse 29. To this end, I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. All the wisdom needed, all the strength needed to present people perfect in Christ, where? 
in the message of Jesus. Nothing else needed. In chapter 2, Paul says it all again. He says, I'm, I'm happy for you Colossians to know how much I'm suffering to get the gospel out there. And I'm happy to suffer because it is the full story. This good news about Jesus can give you full riches, complete understanding, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, I'm not suffering for an inadequate gospel. I'm not suffering to put out half the story. No, no, the message I'm suffering for is all that you need to put you right with God. Chapter 2 and verse 1. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who've not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Nothing else needed. Why is he going on and on about this and saying it over and over and over again? Well, he tells us now, He's worried about these other people with their fine-sounding arguments, these people who are saying Jesus is not enough, these people who are saying that, that, that the message that the Colossian Christians had is not the full message, that they need more than Jesus to save them. Paul says, I'm writing this to you so you won't be tricked. And he says, from here in my prison cell, I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased that you are, I understand, standing firm so far. Verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Okay. Well, can you see what's here in this uh, section of Colossians? It's not, not the easiest uh, kind of expressions, is it? But uh, the, the message, I think, overall is, is pretty clear, isn't it? He's saying that the, the original gospel that the Colossians heard from Epaphras is the true gospel. It's the same gospel every other church heard. It's the same gospel that Paul is in jail for proclaiming. But Paul says, I don't mind suffering for it. And I don't mind you knowing about my suffering because I know that this message, this good news is everything you need. It's the full message from God. It can make you perfect before God, give you the sure hope of glory, give you full riches of complete understanding, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all there. So Colossians, stay with it. Stick with the Jesus Epaphras told you about. Stand firm. Don't be tricked by those false teachers. Yeah? See what he's saying? All right, friends. Well, um, let, let's, let's think for a moment then about what this passage means for you and for me. As we do that, let me ask you this question. Same question I ask my kids every day. Only this time... This time there's way, way more at stake. This time you're not just going to miss the bus or um, be without shirts for a weekend. Friends, friends, do you have everything you need? When it comes to God, do you have everything you need? When it comes to facing your death and what will happen beyond? When it comes to to heaven and to hell, do you have everything you need? Like it or not, there is a God. A God who made you, a God who sustains you, a God who demands your love and obedience and worship. 
Sad to say, none of us have given us the love and obedience and worship he deserves. We've become, as Paul writes, his enemies, God's enemies. And the day is soon coming when we'll have to stand before God and give account. Friends, that could be a very bad day. But by God's grace, there is a way we can be safe on the day of judgment. A way in which we can be presented, chapter 1, verse 22, holy in God's sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That Jesus, Epaphras told the Colossians about, that Jesus, Paul told people about, that same Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. That, that same Jesus rose again from the dead to pave the way for you and for me to be reconciled to God. And what we need to do is so very simple. We need to trust him. We need to trust him to acknowledge our failure, acknowledge that we are enemies before God, rely on Jesus' death and resurrection to reconcile us with God and submit ourselves to him as, as our king and our saviour. Friend, if you haven't done that, then I have to say this to you. You don't have what you need. You are not prepared for that final day. Now, I don't want to be unwelcoming to you in any way, and I'm certainly not saying that you are a worse person than anybody else sitting here tonight. I'm sure that, relatively speaking, you are a very nice person. But we're all in the same boat here. If any of us are not relying on Jesus, we don't have what we need. Uh, during the week while I was writing this talk, I had to take my wife, uh, Carmelina, to the airport. She was giving uh, some lectures up in Brisbane for the first few days of this week. Uh, so we, uh, she, she came here to pick me up and um, so we got in the car and I, I was driving. We drove for about probably five minutes up towards Willoughby Road there. And after about five minutes, I said to Carmelina, have you got everything you need? As, as I'm wont to do. She said, yeah, I've got everything I need. Have you got the lecture notes that I asked you to photocopy for me? And I said, yeah, they're on my desk. <laughs> I looked at her and she looked at me and I just quietly turned the car around and drove back <laughs> to my study. It could have been a disaster. Carmelina with all the right clothes on but no lecture notes to prepare to, to speak. Friends, if you're not relying on Jesus... You don't have what you need and, and, and it's, no, it's no laughing matter. Uh, for you, Judgment Day will be a disaster. Uh, if that is you, can I encourage you, please, talk to the person who invited you today or, or talk to me. Or, we will gladly tell you how you can put your faith in Jesus. It's so easy. Uh, but friend, if you're here this evening and you are relying on Jesus, if you have submitted to him as your king and rescuer, well, then this passage is very good news, isn't it? It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you have done. If you know Jesus, you know the full story. The mystery is revealed. You do have all you need to be perfect before God on that day of judgment. There is nothing you need to add. You have the sure hope of glory. You will stand perfect before God on that last day because Jesus has done all that it takes. Friend, if that is you, message is very simple again stay right where you are don't go anywhere don't try to add to jesus don't ever subtract from him don't try to rely on anyone or anything else just stand firm because in jesus you do have everything that you need
Let's pray. Almighty God, our gracious and holy Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that our Lord Jesus Christ has done everything that we need to make us perfect before you. We thank you that though we are sinners who have never perfectly loved you, yet he has paid the full price for our sin by dying on the cross in our place. We thank you that through Jesus we've been reconciled to you, made from your enemies into your friends. We pray, Heavenly Father, for every single person sitting here that we might know this Jesus as our Saviour and as our Lord, that we ourselves may be right with you. We pray that that day, when that day comes, when we stand before you, that we would together rejoice in what Jesus has done. And we pray it in his name. Amen.